0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 13, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: We have to hold steady and hold true to the word of God. Even if we didn't get it right, God's word is always right. Am I right about it? In Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Do I have another verse up there? Give me another one. How can a young man, a young man cleanse his way? Y'all, y'all read it with me. By taking heed according to the word. Do I have another one, Jim? Do I have another one? There it is. Heaven and earth. Y'all come on, read it with me. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. God's word will never pass away. And therefore, we cannot compromise our lives and your role as a parent as you are leading your children because you have done something in your past and so you compromise and allow your children to get away with that thing that you did in your past. God's word is true even if we mess up. Even if we disobey it. It doesn't make it any less true just because you disobey it. I'm going to add one other thing. It doesn't make it any less true just because you don't believe it. Am I right about it? God's word is true. Heaven and earth shall pass away. God's word shall never pass. David doesn't say or do anything. David could have said, Amnon, listen, son, God, the God that forgave me will forgive you. David could have said, Amnon, you've disqualified yourself from the throne. But God was gracious to me and he'll be gracious to you. He could have said, Amnon, step step, step aside and let your brother assume the heir. He could have stopped a lot of what's going to happen if David wasn't crippled by his own sin and afraid to say something. Verse 21 tells us David was angry. David was furious, but he doesn't say anything and he doesn't do anything. And Absalom didn't speak to his brother and he hated Amnon and that's where murder comes from. Don't you understand? Murder comes from hatred and David has some responsibility here and the Holy Spirit wants us to know after two full years don't you love that detail after two full years you got to wonder did David even notice the boys weren't speaking for two years did he even notice that Absalom had been seething and cooking and plotting revenge on Abnon so after two full years it's sheep shearing time It's sheep shearing time. Sheep shearing time is a time of festivity. It's a time of party and celebration. Everybody gets invited to eat lamb chops, essentially, and enjoy. Verse 24, Absalom invites David and all the servants to the party. Verse 25, David said, no, it's too much, too many of us. You guys go ahead. And David gave them the blessing. Like, you know, when you pray, when people leave and you pray for like traveling mercy, like, Lord, you know, go with them. Lord, be with them. Cover him, Lord. Keep him from car accidents and, you know, that kind of thing. Traveling mercy. He prayed for him. Blessed him. Absalom said, Dad, how about, verse 26, y'all need to stay with me. How about letting Abelan go with us? David said, why do you want him to go? I hope that's suspicion. I hope. Verse 27, Absalom, like most kids, pressing Dad, come on, Dad, let him go. Let him go. Notice over these two, over these two years, these two full years, David has lost or or Absalom, pardon me, has lost respect for his dad, David. Absalom doesn't trust his father. Somehow Absalom has learned not to listen to his father. Absalom becomes very manipulative and doesn't submit to the authority of his father or the authority of God himself. So Absalom just keeps pushing until he gets what he wants. Verse 27, David let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. He allowed them. He told his servants. So Absalom begins to enact the plan in verse 28. And then he told his servants when Amnon is drunk and I say strike, then kill him. And don't be afraid. Just do what I tell you to do. Be courageous and valiant. Now, listen, look at me. That tells me a little bit, I think, about Amnon. Absalom tells the servants, I need you to be uh, courageous and I need you to be valiant. That tells me that Absalom, Amnon, pardon me, so many A's, Amnon is probably pretty tough. He's probably a tough guy. He's probably like a force to be reckoned with because he, he, he tells him, Absalom tells his servants, I need you to be courageous. I need you to be valiant. And when I tell you, I want you to strike and I want you to kill him. Verse 29, the servants did exactly what they were asked to do. They killed Amnon. They got in their Lexuses and they took off. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's not what it says. They got on their horses, their mules, and they took off. Y'all got it. And remember, remember the prophecy of Nathan. Y'all remember the prophecy of Nathan? The sword shall never depart from your house. And we see that prophecy being fulfilled right here. Now, I want you to take note of some similarities. Notice Absalom premeditated the murder of Amnon. David premeditated the murder of Uriah. In both cases, murder was a means to achieve a desired end. David murdered Uriah to get Bathsheba. Absalom murdered Amnon to get the throne and revenge. David used his servant Joab to kill Uriah. Absalom used his servant to kill Amnon. David made Uriah drunk. Absalom made Amnon drunk. Don't you see that? And don't you find it interesting When David heard in verse 30 that Absalom had killed all of his brothers, David believed it. Now, remember we talked about on Sunday, you know a person, you know what they'll do. Was that this past Sunday? You know what a person will do. You kind of get to know people and you know what they will do. Was that this? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Sunday we talked about, you know, your kids, you know what they will do. You know what they won't do. You know, people, you know what they will do. You know what they won't do. You know what kind of person they are. It is kind of interesting for me to see that David was told that Absalom had killed all of his sons or his brothers and David believed it. He automatically believed it. It's almost like David thought Absalom was capable of something as heinous as this. And I find it interesting that David reacts with mourning instead of disbelief. He tears his garments and he lays down on the ground. In verse 31, his nephew Jonadab said, "Uncle David, all the boys aren't dead, just add them." You know? He raped Tamar about two and a half years ago. Didn't you know that? And nobody knew the story as good as Jonadab because he told him how to do it. Jonadab, in verse 33, said, "Hey, unc, cheer up. You got plenty of sons left. Don't worry." Well look at verse thirty four. Then Absalom in verse thirty four, y'all with me. And then Absalom fled, and the young men man who was keeping watch, lifted his eyes and looked. And there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And Jonadab said to the king, look, the king's sons are coming. As your servant said, so it is. And so it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came and they lifted up their voice and they wept. Also the king and all of his servants, they wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Gersher. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gersher and was there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. Stop right there, saints. Absalom is branded and banished as a murderer. Absalom went to Talmai, but he didn't go to a city of refuge. Now, you remember Numbers 35, write that down, read it in your own time. Numbers 35 tells us there are six known cities of refuge. A city of refuge was a city that you could go to in the event that you accidentally killed someone. For example, if you're walking along with your friend and y'all talking, y'all yucking it up, and all of a sudden you just got to, man, ha, 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 bam, and you hit him. And he trips, he falls, hits his head, and is killed. He dies. Well, you, if you can get home, pack your bags quick enough, take off running, and get inside of a city of refuge, his family can't come and kill you. If you can't get in before they catch you, they can legally kill you. If you can get in the city and the family, they might be like one block away and they're on you because family will be on you. OK, they're on you. And, 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 and so you get in the city and, and you're safe. It's almost like I'm safe. Nah, 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 nah. Safe. You can't get me. You can't kill him as a city of refuge. So it's interesting that Absalom couldn't go to a city of refuge. Because this wasn't an accidental death. Absalom runs to his grandfather, his mother's father, Talmai. Verse 35. Finally, all the boys are making their way home and everybody has a moment and they cry together. And it's a hard time for the family. And three years go by and David mourned for Ammon every day. Think about that. David lost two sons and one daughter. Absalom is gone out of his life. Ammon is dead and Tamar is ruined. And all of this is the result of one moment of sin in David's life with Bathsheba. Saints, are y'all listening to me tonight? All of this is the result of one moment of sin. Question? Was it worth it? No. Not In light of the sword shall never depart from your house. David, because of this thing that you have done, there's always going to be problems in your home. One moment of sin causes all of this. This is why your sin has a repercussion, a ripple effect. It's almost like when you throw a stone in water and the ripples go out. That's how sin is. And I remember early in my Christianity, I remember doing some stuff, saying some stuff. Me and Elvira probably had been married three years or something like that. We've been married, how many years now? 33? So that'd be 30 years ago, right? And uh, I would say to her, hey, what I'm doing ain't hurting nobody. You know, contrary to what y'all might think, I, I really wasn't as holy my whole life as I am right now. I know you guys think that I really came out the wound like I am right now, and I can see why you think that, but um, it, I, I, it didn't, I had, a, I had a little up and down period. And uh, so I remember saying this, remember me saying that? I would go, hey, I ain't hurt nobody. I'm not hurting nobody, my sin is not hurting nobody, I'm doing what I'm doing, it's not hurting nobody. And you think that what you're doing is not hurting anybody because you're doing it, and it's just you. You think is involved, but your sin has a rip, repercussion type effect. It has a ripple effect. If what you what you do will affect, if you're married, your wife. If you're if you have children, your wife and your children, your family. It affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects people that know you. When you get a divorce, that's really hard on. Everybody that knows you. Sin has a repercussion type effect. And David's one sin with Bathsheba is now working its way all the way through to his family where your son is raping your daughter. And was it worth it? And you've heard me say, haven't you? Sin will take you further than you want to go you'll stay longer than you want to stay and you'll pay more than you want to pay. That's true. Was it worth it? Got to wonder if David is thinking, was it worth it? You know, I read this story today talking about revenge. I heard this story today of this soldier who was fighting over in Iraq who received a letter from his girlfriend that she was breaking up with him. And in the letter, she asked if he would return the pictures of herself that she had given him because she needed them for a bridal announcement. Well, the soldier was broken, I know. The soldier was broken hearted, and he told his friends about the breakup and her request. And so the guys came up with an idea. The whole platoon gave him pictures of all their girlfriends and told him to send them to his ex-girlfriend with this note. For the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours. So, <laughs> So please remove your picture from all these pictures I'm sending you and return the rest to me. I love that sick little story. That's a sick story. I'll tell you what. God does not like revenge. God does not like revenge. I think of Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath. For it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. Therefore if your enemy is hungry. Feed him. And if he's thirsty. Give him something to drink. For in so doing. You will reap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Somebody read it with me. But overcome evil with good. Listen, saints, in the world we live in, isn't it true? We hear people say all the time, don't get mad, get even. Don't get mad, get even. may satisfy some people, but it will never be pleasing to the Lord. Absalom got revenge for the rape of Tamar, but... Was it really worth it? Vengeance is always outside of God's will. Are you listening? God reserves vengeance for himself. God doesn't want you to avenge yourself because it's a right of God. Did you hear me? Vengeance is a right of God. But also, if you're seeking vengeance, watch this. You have to hold on to bitterness. Now, we talked about bitterness how many times? I told you the word bitter means sticky. Huh? Write that down. The word bitter means sticky. In other words, when bitterness gets in your heart, that's why the Bible says don't allow a root of bitterness to take hold of your heart because it's sticky and it will hold on and it will not let go. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It will not let go. So if you are seeking vengeance, you have to hold on to bitterness. Think about this Absalom held on to bitterness for two full years. If you hold on to bitterness, you also have to hold on to anger and unforgiveness. And that will grow like cancer and consume you. So let it go. Somebody once rightly said, Revenge gets you even with your enemy, forgiveness puts you above him. Revenge get you even with your enemy, forgiveness puts you above it. So, you ask, Pastor, how do I combat revenge? How do I combat revenge? Three things I want to give you how you combat revenge. First of all, number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness forgiveness. Number two, love. We'll talk about them. And number three, finally, let go and let God. How do you combat revenge and vengefulness? Forgiveness, love, and let go and let God. First of all, forgiveness. I can't help but think about Jesus. Jesus, who was nailed to the cross And he said in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, in one sense, listen, they knew exactly what they were doing and probably didn't care. Although Jesus knew that they had no clue that they were driving the nails into the hands of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They didn't know they were crucifying an innocent man. They didn't know they were driving the nails in the hands of the Savior. Instead of Jesus having a heart of vengeance toward them, he asked the Father to forgive them. Forgiveness. How do you deal with vengeance? How do you deal with a vengeful heart? You want to to take vengeance on someone? I'd encourage you not to do that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You should, number one, forgive them. Number two, love them. I think of Leviticus nineteen, eighteen. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love them. Uh, projection. Do I have another verse there? I thought I had another verse there. I don't? Okay. I'll find one later. Love them. Love them. Oh, here's one. Jesus said that they will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. And if someone persecutes you, then you should be happy and that you should bless those who persecute you and pray for those who despitefully use you. Thank you, Lord. And pray for those who despitefully use you. So love them. You know, I heard this story many years ago, and I read it to you, or maybe not you guys, but the church here, many years ago, and I found it in my study this week. I want to read it to you. Anybody know who Corey Temboon is? Uh, raise your hand if you know who Corey Temboon is. Okay, that's a good number of you. You'll appreciate this story. It's an amazing story of forgiveness and love. It comes from the, uh, the concentration camp experience of the Dutch Christian Corrie Temboon. Temboon, true story, and her family were sent to the Nazi concentration camp Ravenbrook for hiding Jews in their home. Corrie tragically lost her father and sister Betsy in that camp. After years of untold suffering in the camp, through a clerical error, I'll call the God thing, Corrie was released from Ravensbrook. Tragically, all the women prisoners in that same camp her age were killed the week following her release, Corey spent the rest of her life as a self-described tramp for the Lord. Speaking of God's work in her life during this very difficult time, and some years later, after one of her church meetings, Corey met face-to-face with, with one of the very cruel, heartless Nazi guards that she had faced previously at Ravensbrook. He had humiliated her and degraded her and her sister, he stared lustfully at her while they were delousing in the delousing shower. He stood before her with hand outstretched and asked, will you forgive me? And she writes, I stood there with coldness clutching at my heart, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. I pray Jesus help me, woodenly, Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder and raced down into my arm and sprang into our clutched hands. And then this warm reconcile reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with my whole heart. For a long moment, we grasp each other's hands. The former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. Vengeance or love? We should love people, not take vengeance on them. Vengeance is mine. Forgiveness and love. And then finally, let go and let God. Proverbs chapter twenty. Verse 22, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. You know, one of the reasons why it's hard to wait, let go and let God is because we're impatient. We feel God isn't avenging us fast enough. And so we want to take matters in our own hands. Listen, wait on the Lord, let go and let God. And don't you know, God's vengeance is always better than yours. I always like to think God can get them far better than you can. Okay? And then here is another thing you take vengeance, but then you feel bad that you took vengeance. So taking vengeance on somebody really doesn't help. It actually doesn't only hurt them, but it also hurts you. So why not just leave it to the Lord, let go, and let God. Absalom didn't need to take vengeance. God would have dealt with Ammon. And now, because Absalom has disobeyed the Lord and disobeyed his father, we're going to find as we move through the chapters, he's falling deeper and deeper into sin. It's always good to obey God's saints. It's always good to do what the Lord tells you to do. And don't do what the Lord tells you not to do. Am I right about it?
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.